Welcome to Campfire Football. This is episode 129 and a very special day. Yes, it's Boxing Day. We all love Boxing Day as football fans, but also very important. Campfire Football turns two years old today. Two years ago, it was um, obviously we all remember, you know, 2020 pandemic year. Wintertime, there was sort of second lockdown stuff happening, and I'd been watching so much football, and not just, it was a different type, right? It was games with no crowds, it was um, just a bizarre time, and a lot of games watched very much alone, and over time, I just ended up doing this. I decided to start talking about it instead of locking it in my own mind. And so here we are, two years on, 129 episodes in, and a hodgepodge. I know, it's a little weird. For those of you who have been listening, uh, I'm I'm sure it's a little strange. You're like, well, what's he going to do next? Is it going to be a 40-minute thing on the World Cup final or on one game or on a few games? Or is it going to be an interview with someone? And the truth is, part of this developmental process that's kind of fun is not quite knowing what the plan was at one point and hoping to flush it out by doing work. So uh, during the World Cup, I produced uh, over 40 videos that were, you know, minute long or so videos just to kind of recap the day each time. Uh, Started posting them more on YouTube and yeah, just saw a cool traffic increase there which was just a you know just an exciting thing to do. Uh, posting podcasts like this is something that requires a little more time, a little more planning sometimes. And when you have the amount of games, which was for a day that we did during the World Cup, I wanted to go with something, yeah, just try something new and a little different. And so it's fun to do that part of the creative process. But I want to bring it home. Look, two years here. It's been a great time. I want to I want to make sure I keep going and we're going to do what you do on the day after Christmas is which is you review Boxing Day. And the great thing about Boxing Day is that this year it actually is happening. It is the first round of Premier League fixtures post World Cup. A lot of people made, you know, a lot of a lot of people really had their concerns with what what would happen with the World Cup mid-season like this. Would it would it completely mess up the schedule? Would it make it so that teams weren't fresh when they came back? And it was actually interesting listening to Pep Guardiola speak about the players that he had and the fitness that they have going into the League Cup game against Liverpool. And what he said was that the players that were left behind, they're fit, yes, they're in good shape, but they're not sharp like the guys who were at the World Cup, which actually makes a lot of sense because think about it. They, those those guys were in high-level training, high-pressure situations all the time. These guys who have been back home training, playing friendly matches, yeah, they're keeping their shape up. They're trying to make sure they don't get injured, but they're also not pushing the envelope. So when all of a sudden everyone comes back together, what you actually do find as a coach is that the players who have been going and are sharp do look the best. So that'll be very interesting to see as things come back. And about, what about the teams as well that – Say they, they they went deep in the tournament so they get a little bit of grace. Anyone from France or Argentina, it, it, it seems as if it might take a while. You know, If you're thinking, well, what about the teams that made it to the semifinal, the Moroccans, the Croatians? Well, even Perisic today played for Spurs. 
So believe me, a lot of players are coming back very quickly because, look, this is important. This is their bread and butter. And if you're a Premier League player and you're in a team team with that's in a good position to do something, you want to bank. You want to make sure you're there. You want to make sure you're around so that you're in the lineup, in the manager's plans, and then possibly able to win something. And there are plenty of teams that might be in the running. So, without further ado, let's just go through the day, the game of the, the games of the day. The five thirty a.m. If you are in Mountain Time, like I am, if not, it's just the first game of the day. Was Brentford against Spurs, a London derby. Brentford at home are a force to be reckoned with by everybody. Everyone struggles when they play against Brentford at the community stadium. And Spurs were no different. Now, the thing about Spurs is that they have started slow almost all season long. There have been very few games where they look great from the opening whistle. Very few. I can't think of a single one. And I, the narrative is now so deeply ingrained. I mean, that's how much we've heard it and that's how much we've seen it. Vitaly Inelt puts Brentford ahead, 1-0. Uh, Ivan Tony flicks on a ball to Mbumo. He puts across the back post. There's a volley, save. Yenelt puts it in. It's 1-0. And Brentford were the better team the entire first half, without much of a doubt. Second half, Spurs started to pick it up, pick it up a little bit. And then Ivan Tony scores his goal. It's 2-0. And, you know, at this point, you're wondering, okay, Spurs, like, wake up or well, like what what's going on here right it, it, there's no reason there's no reason for you to be struggling like this and right away they really start to create some more clear cut chances harry kane scores and they're off the mark 65 minutes in that's where we were at when harry kane scores and just 6 minutes later pierre emil horberg makes it 2-2 and the spurs players when they're at 2-2 they don't look entirely like G'd up, like, yeah, let's go, let's go get the third. It was more like, all right, yeah, we tied it up again. You know, we were down 2 0. We're back at two. This is where we should have been. Like, this is ridiculous. There was something about the body language that was less fired up and more just, okay, good. We erased this stupid 2 0 lead we gave up that we shouldn't have. And that's a problem. If you start to notice that the players themselves are getting sick of going behind because it happens so often in situations that maybe they shouldn't. I'm not really sure. I think Brentford are a tough opposition to play in their own stadium, but it, it, Spurs do start slow way too often. Brentford, what's great news for them is Thomas Frank, their manager who has been transformational. He signed a new five-year deal. I guess at the same time, that does mean that if another club were to come in and actually poach him, that they'd have to pay big money to get him out, which probably suits all parties. Uh, he can keep going, doing what he's doing. The club has a great structure. They're going in the right way. So, excellent. And for Spurs, look, they're dangling around, but 2-2 is not the kind of result they want to be getting. They want to be winning. They want to be winning games. They want to solidify a top-four spot. And who knows? I mean, who knows what happens this season if Man City don't ignite, then is there a chance for a title run somewhere in there? We'll see. All right. Another London Derby crystal palace against Fulham. And this was one of two, three nils that we saw today, but palace yikes. I mean, down to 10 men after 54 minutes and you lose three nil at home. Wow. Look, I, 
it, it, it's unfortunate. Ayu, Jordan Ayu hits the bar after about 25 minutes. It's a good move. Gets the ball, hits the bar. It's unfortunate. Yes, I, he could have taken the chance better, of course, because he could have scored. But then all hell breaks loose. And the universe tilts upside down when Alexander Mitrovic gets a ball, crosses it, Bobby D. Cordova Reed heads it in. That, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, Mitrovic crossing a ball in general and someone else heading one in. I, I, I thought it was brilliant. And it must have felt for Palace fans who were sitting there like, what are we witnessing? They did not look good. They got a red card just a few minutes later. Tyreek Mitchell, ball comes across to him, and he tries to chest it back away from pressure and goes in for the ball and is just a tad late and basically treads on the defender. Now, the first time I saw this, and I knew that there was a red card coming, so the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's lunging in. It's terrible. And then you watch it again, and you're like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit harsh. Look, I don't know. Everyone's going to have their opinion on this. I look at that, and I don't see a guy trying to jam his foot in. I see a guy going for the ball, and essentially there's only one place his foot can go, and he's made a big mistake, right? But it's not necessarily violent. Uh, It's also his own touch. He's taken a bad touch, and he's trying to rectify for that by getting to the ball as quickly as he can. He's not trying to rectify for it by siding someone in half. I just think that it's a little bit much to give him a red there, but I also understand it. It's not outside the rule book, so it's fine. But that really puts things in a problem situation for Palace. And the problem for them was not that this became 3-0 and then they went down to 10 or then they went down to 9 men. No, they then went down to 9 men. James Tompkins is watching a ball go past him. And he notices Mitrovic is running to go and get it as well. Now, Tompkins has kind of decided, I'm letting this run to my goalie. Mitrovic has decided, this is not a lost cause. I'm going for it. So Tompkins kind of leans across and just dangles his elbow out. And Mitrovic runs right into it. And it kind of, I mean, yeah, it, it look, it's a second yellow card. Now, that's the thing. It was a yellow card and therefore his second. And now he's red carded and gone. It's just kind of silly. Like, there's not much you can do there. If you're already on a yellow, you can't try and get in the guy's way and bump him because you're going to get pulled up for that. There's just there's very little way around that. But you make it even more obvious by putting your arm up in the air. It's just a weird thing to do. Tompkins lets his team down in that moment because after that, it was just a training session for Fulham. Just find a way to score a couple more goals. That's it. Just make sure you finish a few opportunities. The game is so open. You're up two players. You can move it all all over the place. You're up a goal. You don't really need to take risks, but you do want a goal just in case there's a set piece and a big ball in the box and something crazy happens. <laughs> Tim Ream gets the second. Tim Ream, the U.S. defender who had a very good World Cup, made a great account of himself, looking He's looking confident at the moment. Ball goes to the back post. Mitrovic, get, Mitrovic gets up, heads it. It seems to brush off his arm, falls to Tim Ream. He smashes it in the goal. It goes to a VAR check. They decide, and, and, the, and the referee actually goes to the monitor to check it and sticks by his decision to award a goal, which, look, we've heard multiple times from commentators and other people If the guy is going to the monitor, he's changing his mind to whatever he has been suggested to look at. 
there have been more and more situations where referees have gone, taken a look, and been like, nah, I'm sticking with what I'm doing. So, hey, I like that. And then it goes to 3-0, and Mitrovic gets his name on the board. And, look, unfortunate day for Crystal Palace. Going down 1-0 is never good. And then when it's followed up with a red card, now you have to try and figure out a way to stay in the game. And I thought they could have done that. They were only down 1-0 into the second half, and then Tompkins makes his mistake. And it's like, well, now it's all up in the air. Because let's let's be honest, 11 pros against 9 pros is not fair. It's just not fair. All right, moving on. Everton Wolves, Frank Lampard might actually be in trouble here. While Julen Lopetegui takes charge of Wolverhampton Wanderers for the first time. Yeri Mina doing what he should be doing quite a bit more considering his height and heading ability, puts Everton up 1-0 from a corner kick, just kind of moves the defender out of the way, heads it into the back post. Easy, eight minutes in, Everton are flying. It's got to be kind of funny for all these teams playing at home. It's like their fans haven't seen them going for a while, so all of a sudden it's like, all right, we're going, and we score, yes! But are we good, and are we good enough to hold on to this? This game was a mess. I mean... It got a little bit crazy. Daniel Potence equalizes after 22 minutes, takes a corner kick way out to the back of the box, comes back in. He starts running inside, and the ball gets chipped and ends up right back to him. The guy who takes the corner, as he just jogs back in, the ball comes right back to him. He slots in. It's 1-1, and here we go. Now, Wolves have been struggling this season. They were bottom of the table at the start of the day here. And they even got six yellow cards in this game. Now, we have to understand, this game ended 2-1 for Wolves. But what they had to do to get to that point, I mean, they had six yellow cards total. They had to survive some very sketchy situations. There was a breakaway for Everton in the first half that they somehow managed to clean up. There there was a clearance off the line. There, there It was just carnage for Wolves to stay alive in this game. And they managed to do so. And Everton... Dying to get this winner. I mean, you know, it's Everton at home playing against bottom against bottom of the league Wolves. You've got to be going for it. 96 minute, they're trying. Big crossfield ball. The header gets put back into the box, but it's right to a Wolves player, and they just flash out on a counterattack. Four players join in. The ball gets out wide to the right, crossed in. Ryan Aitnori, the young French international, settles it and tucks it in. And just like that, Wolves in a smash and grab have won 2-1 at Goodison Park. That's not good for Lampard, but it's a great start for Julian Lopetegui. He's all of a sudden getting a dose of how stressful the Premier League really can be. And it's going to be interesting to see, can he make something and mold something out of this young group of really quite talented players that they have there? A lot of Portuguese guys, of course, we know that. Anyway, let's move on. Another derby, Southampton versus Brighton, down on the south coast. Uh, Southampton, they don't look great at the moment. It's, it has to be said. I love Ralph Hasenhutl, and early in the season when I was on uh, the SGFC podcast, uh, I said, or when I had them on, I don't remember. Either way, on s- somewhere out there, I can be heard saying that I felt that Southampton would have a good run this season, would put together more than just a third or a half of a season, and finish in the top 10. Well, it's not looking good. They got they got annihilated by their neighbors today. Uh, Roberto De Zerbi at Brighton is doing a great job. He's already got the Chelsea 
Uh, he's already beaten Chelsea right before the break. That was incredible. And they just look really good, Brighton. They they look like nothing's changed. They haven't lost a step, and off they go. Alexis McAllister is not back. No big deal. They're going to keep on moving it. Adam Milana. It's great to say his name and associate him with goals. Look, he does a great job in this goal. He plays the ball out wide, gets inside. It's chipped into him. He heads it, and it's in. But Bazunu basically drops it in the goal. So, look. Credit to Lalana for doing the work, getting the ball wide, going in, heading it. But this is a gift from the goalkeeper. And Southampton, like, they need to not be giving away these kinds of goals. If they're going to survive in this league, they've got to be more rigid. They've got to find a way to make teams really earn leads against them because they're capable of scoring. The only problem is when you go down 2-0. If you're a team like Southampton and you go down 2-0, you're in trouble. And the thing is their crowd is not the kind that gets super G'd up and will rally around the team at 2-0 down to make them come back. So Kairu Mitoma, who was outstanding in the lead-up to the tournament and didn't really start for Japan in the World Cup, but he came on and made a difference every time he did. He gets the ball, plays it out to Pervis Estupinian, the Ecuadorian that we all noticed as well at the World Cup. He crosses the ball in. Bazunu goes for it, maybe gets a touch. I'm not sure. But Romain Perrault, oh, my God. I mean, he, the, the ball comes to him, and he slashes at it. I mean, swings as hard as he can to try and clear it out of the stadium, whiffs it, it hits his shin and goes in. It's an own goal. I mean, it's it's just it's sad, right? Second half, Sully March, 55th minute. He goes, receives the ball, takes a couple touches inside, and he's – Sully March is a great player. He's He's got a really lovely left foot. He's been useful to every manager that he's had at Brighton. And I, I've always found him to be, if he's on, he can be a very difficult player to deal with. And he hits an absolute thunderbolt from probably 30 yards into the top corner, completely unsavable, and it's 3-0. Keep in mind, this game is not at the Amex for Brighton. This is in Southampton at St. Mary's. It's it's not it's not it's not good. This is not the way that this needs to be going. There's a little bit of respite. James Ward-Prowse tucks in a penalty at, to make it three-one. But this is not good for Southampton. And we'll see if Ralph Hasenhutel can keep his job at this point. All right, two games to go, and we're going to start talking about some of the heavy hitters here. All right, Aston Villa, no, not them versus Liverpool. Unai Emery has taken over Aston Villa, got a couple wins before the World Cup break, and now is looking to, you know, keep keep things going. How, how, how can we keep the machine rolling here? Liverpool's a tough test, and they did not have a heavy amount of players going to the World Cup, especially their top, top player, Mo Salah, top goal scorer, top assists, everything. He is fresh and ready to go. Trent Alexander-Arnold did not play for England, even though he was there. Robertson plays for Scotland. He wasn't there. Thiago Alcantara didn't get picked by Brazil. So there, there's a lot here for Jurgen Klopp to work with. And in a sense, for him to have taken some time, forget about the early start to the season, which was not good for Liverpool, and really get them going. And they looked very good today. Well, they looked very good in the attacking sense. They're still vulnerable defensively. And this game, therefore, was back and forth and back and forth. And you never really knew when the goals were going to come. Liverpool got three of them, the first being a terrific set of passes. Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson seem to find each other with such regularity, it's incredible. And this time from a weird position. 
Trent Alexander-Arnold is central, completely central, receives the ball, hits an outside of the football, slicing it beautifully over the defense. Robertson is getting in on the right side, and with the outside of his left foot, he just half volley touches the ball right square across the box. Salah tucks it in. 1-0. And this is a great goal. This is this is very, very clean play. I mean, it's 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 just outstanding class in terms of passing, movement, and Liverpool looked great in this moment. Then Van Dyke puts in a tap in. Well, not a t- I, sh- I shouldn't say a tap in. That's not fair to Virgil Van Dyke. This is actually a really nice finish into the far corner, but it's on a rebound after a corner kick. Ball gets knocked down. He goes ahead and smashes it in. Low side far corner. It's 2 0. And Ollie Watkins pulled one back for Aston Villa. It's good for him. He needs to get going. I think if he can start scoring goals for Aston Villa, it can really revive his Premier League career because you don't want him to be the kind of guy that got into Villa, did well at the start, and sort of petered out. He's a good player, and I'd like to see him continue. So it's great, great to see him get a goal. But in the end, uh, Stefan Besic, I believe, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, probably not. Young Liverpool player gets the third, and it's three-one. He had a very, very, very tidy touch and, and finish. I think the biggest concern for Liverpool, and maybe it's not too big of a concern, but it is the finishing of Darwin Nunez. I mean, we saw it at the World Cup, and we're seeing it now. He really struggles in many, many different moments. He tries things that are difficult, fine, but the technique is off. He also does things that when when he has a good opportunity, a good chance to just take his time and finish, he seems to not look up. He just is his head is down on the ball and he seems to be kind of out of the corner of his eye trying to read what's happening and and disguise his shot. I I think as a forward, if you've got the technique and you've got the speed like he does to get into great positions, you just need to calm down before you shoot, take a breath and just slot it home. Look, Miguel Almiron from Newcastle was the laughingstock of the Premier League for the first like year that he came from MLS. And the goal he scored today was fantastic. So, look, there is still time for Darwin Nunez. I don't think Klopp should be worried. But rumors are Liverpool are looking to bring in Cody Gakpo. Yep. Cody Gakpo, if you remember him from the World Cup, which was such a long time ago. But he was lighting it up only in the group stage. So... Hey, uh, no, Cody Gakpo scored in all three group stage games for the Netherlands. He is a fantastic player, and it looks like Liverpool have stolen a march on his signature. That would be pretty interesting. And let's wrap it up. Arsenal versus West Ham. This this was always going to be a little bit of an interesting game because it's final game of the day, and Arsenal, they they had such an incredible start to the season that, that no one really predicted. I mean, everyone... Talking about Arsenal was worried about, well, they probably won't make the top four. And, eh, well, they, you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. They had a good end of the season. They've signed some good players. There was some excitement and positivity around them, but no one considered them to be top going into the World Cup break. Five points clear. Here we go. Can they sustain it? West Ham is a great, is, is really a just a great test to get things going. Because West Ham, under David Moyes, it is uh, it has been difficult so far this season. One thing that a lot of people talked about was that David Moyes, he had brought in a lot of players. They spent a lot of money. They tried to really retool this squad and, and get it geared up for a run for the Champions League. This puts pressure, right? 
if he just had the same squad as last season, added one or two mid-table players, and he does well, everyone's like, hey. But they've spent quite a bit of cash, and so now there need to be results associated with that. And some of these results are kind of – there needs to be – there's the expectation that they'll they'll win a big game like this every now and again. And they did very well, took the lead to get started. Said Ben Rama puts in a penalty that Jared Bowen draws. William Saliba clearly fouls him. Jared Bowen tried to stay on his feet, and this one did go to VAR, and I think it's very good that they awarded the penalty because it was a foul. So Ben Rama scores, and then Arsenal, I mean, they show their class. They were very good all game. And then Bukayo Saka, he scores after Odegaard shoots from about 30 yards, but he just mishits it, and it's just skidding along the turf. And Bukayo Saka had just started to drift behind the defense, looks across, and probably noticed that uh, Sufal was keeping him way onside because he was way in behind. Even he would have been just five yards offside, even if this would have been a pass. So part of me feels like he saw that Sufal was there and that he could just kind of get behind the defense. Look, I'm giving Saka the credit for this. I think it was brilliant. Ball comes to ball comes right to him. The shot's clearly not hard enough. He just settles it, takes another touch, slots it in. And just a few minutes later, they take the lead. Odegaard is a fantastic player. I mean, it just the way that they can move things through the midfield with him. He get, Again, he's involved in the move of bringing the ball from right all the way to left. And this time it's Martinelli who's able to do his thing. He gets 1v1, cuts down the line, smashes it in the near post with his left foot. And you're seeing these weapons for Arsenal all over the place. Like Granite Xhaka looks excellent. He look, He's fantastic. He's helping win the ball, spread it, be strong. And Odegaard is able to just, just float around and, and, and connect one side to the other where they have these dynamic wingers that <laughs> cause damage. Now, the big question for Arsenal is, well, what are you going to do without Gabriel Jesus? Are you going to go and spend $60 million on this guy? Are you going to go and buy Mitrovic? What, what are you going to do? You know, Jesus is out for a couple months. Who's going to fill the void? All right, well, they can't do anything right now. Eddie Nketiah has got to play. And he scores a fantastic striker's goal. First of all, ball gets spread for Martinelli, who's he's dribbling the ball outside the box, draws like four West Ham defenders to him, moves it out to Ben White, and he takes a little touch that bobbles, and Ben Rama bites. He's like, ooh, a center back who just took a, a rough touch. I'm going for it. And Ben White just kind of pops it over him, plays the ball into Odegaard. Odegaard one touch into Enketia, who spins the defender, Tilo Kara and smashes it in bottom corner far post. It's a really good striker's goal. It's fantastic. And here you are, looking at this, like, wow. Arsenal picking up right where they left off. It is. It has been interesting because you look at this break and which teams got going again and which teams are struggling to get going. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens tomorrow. I know it's not Boxing Day tomorrow, but we will see Chelsea play against Bournemouth. I mean, to me, that one has banana skin written all over. We have no idea what to expect from Chelsea. Probably the one team that is the most fascinating. Man United, well, they already played a game in the League Cup, in the League Cup, and we saw them do quite well. So perhaps they'll pick up where they left off. I think Eric Ten Hag's got things going in the right way. But Newcastle, I mean, they have to be the story, right? This is incredible what they're doing. They're in second. Amazing. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening, hanging out, and I hope to bring you more very, very soon. This is Campfire Football. 
I'm Sebastian North. Happy second birthday to the podcast.